chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment. And ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and the heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you, and draw you before the judgment seats? Do they not blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? The folly of favoritism. The folly of favoritism. When he was a student, the famous Indian leader Gandhi considered becoming a Christian. He read the Gospels and was moved by them. It seemed to him that Christianity offered a solution to the caste system that plagued the people of India. One Sunday, he went to a local church. He decided to see the pastor and ask for instructions on the way of salvation. But when he entered the church, which consisted of only white people, the ushers refused to give him a seat. They told him to go and worship with his own people. He left and never went back. He later commented on this, If Christians have caste differences also, I might as well remain a Hindu. And then later on he made another comment about this, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. This tragic story illustrates the sin that James is writing about and writing against in our text. James focuses on the sin of showing favoritism, showing partiality to the rich and despising the poor. But his words apply to all types of prejudice, whether it is based on economic status, race, or anything else. To favor some people and to disregard others based on outward factors is a terrible sin. A sin that had infected the early church in James' day but it also has infected the church in every generation since, because this sin stems from pride, which is a characteristic of and endemic to our fallen nature. Warren Risby said this, The way we behave toward people indicates that we real, what we really believe about God. We cannot and dare not separate human relationships from divine fellowship. 1 John 4.20 says, If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? This infection of treating others differently based on their outward appearances goes against what the New Testament church is supposed to be. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all, Colossians 3.11. The makeup of the local church should baffle the world. The world should not be able to explain how people of different races, different economic and standings, different social levels, and age groups can come together in love and harmony. The church should be an enigma to the world instead of resembling the world. So favoritism. Favoritism takes place where one person is treated differently from another, on the basis of wealth, social status, gender, age, or physical appearance. 
we all expect to be treated with equity, especially in church. This is the issue being raised by James in our passage. The Bible repeatedly condemns partiality and favoritism. Ye shall do no unrighteousness in judgment. Thou shalt not respect the person of the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty. But in righteousness shalt thou judge thy neighbor. Leviticus 19.15 To have respect of persons is not good. For a piece of bread that man will transgress. Proverbs 28.21 Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all people, according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. Malachi 2.9 then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Acts 10.34 James detests favoritism. He sees it as an indication of a heart that is at best in need of spiritual help and at worst as a heart without grace. Partiality is wrong because it usurps God's sovereignty. It aligns you with God's enemies and it violates God's law of love. Favoritism is wrong because it undermines God's authority and position. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. James again addresses his readers here as my brethren. This shows that he is writing to professing Christians, not to the world. It is a powerful reminder that if we are brothers, it is because God has made no distinctions among us. Wealth, position, appearance, status, or any other advantage we may have possessed had no influence on God. Though God showed no favoritism, the same could not be said about the early church. James had already observed the sinful infection of favoritism in practice in the early church, and he is writing to correct a problem before it grows any worse. He shows us ways that partiality usurps God's authority and position. Partiality puts man as judge in the place of our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. James chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring and goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there or sit here under my footstool. James opens with the command that we not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. Then he illustrates it with a hypothetical scenario. Now, read in some, some commentaries where they believe this was an actual scenario that James had witnessed something very similar to this is what prompted him to include this in his epistle. Whether it's hypothetical or giving an example of something he actually saw doesn't matter but the truth is applicable to all ages. The scenario is two men come into a church gathering. One is obviously wealthy, as seen by his gold ring and his fine clothes. The other is obviously poor, as seen by his shabby clothes. Someone in the church directs the wealthy man to the best seat in the house. Come over here, sir, sit over here. This is the best seat. This is the best place. Whereas the poor man is told to stand out of the way or to sit down on the floor. Right? We, don't, we don't have any room for you. You can go sit on the floor over there in the corner. The rich man is given privileges because of his wealth, but the poor man is despised because of his poverty. Such treatment, James says, is evil. Jesus was despised and rejected. Our Lord was despised and rejected. This fact was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 53, 1-3. 
Jesus was the poor man who was rejected by the self-righteous nation. And now I hear James is witnessing Jesus' church rejecting the poor and being self-righteous about it as they do it. They were being self-righteous and they were rejecting and despising the poor while giving favor to the rich. So unlike the foxes and the birds, Jesus had no home. He grew up in the despised city of Nazareth in a home that knew the feeling of poverty. Had you and I met him while he was ministering on earth, he would have seen we have seen nothing physically or materially that would have attracted us to him. Yet, he is the very glory of God. In the Old Testament, God's glory dwelled first in the tabernacle. We see that in Exodus chapter 40. And then in the temple, 1 Kings chapter 8. When Jesus came to earth, God's glory resided in him, John 1.14. Today, the glory of God dwells in the believer individually, 1 Corinthians 6.19-20, and the church collectively, Ephesians 2.21-22. Now, the religious experts in Christ's day judged him by their human standards, and they rejected him by their human standards. He came from the wrong city, Nazareth of Galilee. He was not a graduate of their accepted schools. He did not have the official approval of the people in power. He had no wealth. His followers were a nondescript mob and included publicans and sinners. Yet, he was the very glory of God. No wonder Jesus warned the religious leaders, Judge not according to the appearance, but judge righteous judgment. John 7.24 Sad to say, we may often make the same mistakes. When visitors come into our churches, we tend to judge them on what we see outwardly rather than what they are inwardly. Dress, color of skin, fashion, and other superficial things carry more weight than the fruit of the Spirit that may be manifest in their lives. We may cater to the rich because we hope to get something out of them, and we may avoid the poor for the opposite reason. Jesus did not do this, and he cannot approve of it. Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. This is one of the only two references to Jesus Christ by name in this entire epistle of James. And so it should capture our attention. By focusing our attention on Jesus Christ and his glory, James addresses the problem of favoritism in three ways. First, Jesus did not respect persons. Even his enemies admitted to this. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person. Jesus was not a respecter of persons. Matthew twenty-two sixteen. Our Lord did not look at the outward appearance. He looked at the heart. He was not impressed with riches or social status. The poor widow who gave her might was greater in his eyes than the rich Pharisee who boastfully gave his large donation. Furthermore, he saw potential in lives of sinners. In Simon, he saw a rock. In Matthew the publican, he saw a faithful disciple who would one day write one of the four Gospels. The disciples were amazed to see Jesus talking with the sinful woman at the well. But Jesus saw her in an instrument for reaping and great harvest. He saw potential. He did not respect the person. He did not respect the outward appearance of the person. He did not show partiality against someone because of their current spiritual state. He did not do that. He saw the potential. He saw the heart. Second, James gives us to see how petty our distinctions between the rich and poor 
really are. Even the most powerfully rich men on earth are nothing compared to the Lord, are nothing compared to the glory of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings. King Nebuchadnezzar thought that he was great, but God humbled him so that he ate grass like a beast of the field. And when he came to his senses, he acknowledged that God alone is great. Thirdly, when we exalt men on account of their wealth or their power or their status, we rob glory from Jesus Christ, who sovereignly gives us everything that we are to have, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Rather than exalting the rich, we should exalt the supreme glory of Christ alone. We are all just unworthy servants. Focusing on the glory of Christ puts us all in our proper place before him. Of course we should grant honor to whom honor is due. Romans 13, 7 tells us that. But honor towards Christ and honor towards men are two completely different things. Judges of evil thoughts. James 2, 4. Are you not then partial in yourselves and are become judges of evil thoughts? James asked two questions in verse 4. We are never told we must suspend our critical thinking, nor are we forbidden to have an opinion about something or someone. We are encouraged, in fact, at all times to distinguish between truth and error, between good and evil. Our Lord tells us, after all, not to cast our pearls before swine in Matthew 7, 6, and to watch out for false prophets who come in sheep's clothing in Matthew 7, 15. But this is not what Jesus or James mean when they warn us against judging with evil thoughts. We become judges with evil thoughts whenever we pay less attention to or show lack of courtesy to the poor. It does not matter what kind of poverty it is. The poverty may be a poverty of looks. It may be a poverty of personality. It may be a poverty of influence. It may be a poverty of advantages. Whatever or wherever the poverty may lie in someone's life should not matter how we treat them. When we allow factors like those mentioned to determine how we conduct our relationships with people, we reveal our immature character. The way we treat others is a test of maturity, James 1, 2-4, and a daily battle for integrity. The church must be the one place where it does not matter what your standing in life is. Each person should receive love. Each person should receive respect. Each person should receive consideration. And his or her worth should not be determined by any external quality. Partiality puts man as sovereign in the place of God who chooses. James 2.5 Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? James asks his readers to pay attention, to hearken to what he has to say. He again addresses them, addresses them as my beloved brethren. And then he asks a question that expects an affirmative answer. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom of God, which he hath promised to them that love him? James now presents them with some form of logic in the form of a spiritual paradox. James' point in verse 5 is that, in general, the poor are spiritually advantaged. Consider the following. Our Lord chose to be born to a poor woman in an obscure town in the provincial backwoods. When he began his ministry in a synagogue in Nazareth, Jesus took up the scroll of Isaiah and read these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, Luke 4, 18 and 19, quoting Isaiah 61, 1-2. At the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, the declaration of the character of those in the kingdom, Jesus said this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Matthew 5, 3. James is not teaching that God chooses all poor men for salvation and passes over all the rich. Rather, it was obvious in the early church that many more poor had trusted Christ for their salvation as compared to those that were rich that trusted Christ for their salvation. But there were some rich people, Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, Barnabas, Philemon. But the numbers were slanted drastically towards the poor, trusting Christ as their Savior. That's why Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. Paul said this, For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, the reason why God chose these that he chose in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29 is because that no flesh should glory in his presence. He wants people to see that it is God using his person. He wants people to see that it is God in your life that has enabled you to do this or do that. He wants God to get the glory. God wants the glory. We should point all glory to God. When we do anything to the Lord, someone gives us a compliment, praise the Lord, point the glory to God. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world and things which are despised. Hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Next thing I want to point out is the ground is level at the cross. The ground is level at the cross. As James drives home the poor, rich, or the rich-poor paradox, he is powerfully asserting that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. This being so, it is absurd to be partial towards anyone. All should be treated equally, equally as beings created in the image of God. Rich and poor should be accorded equal home and cordiality. Discrimination or favoritism is spiritually irrational. Although there is no merit inherent in poverty, poor people often realize how short life is and thus see their need for eternal life more readily than the rich do. As Jesus explained after the encounter with the rich young ruler, it is hard for the wealthy to get into God's kingdom because their riches usurp the place that belongs to God alone, Mark chapter 10. It is those who are poor materially who are also often poor in spirit, recognizing their need for God's grace, Matthew 5, 3, Luke 6, 20. When God sent his son to this earth, he chose a poor Jewish maiden to be his mother. Mary was exalted. He exalted Mary, the poor Jewish maiden. Luke 1, 52-53. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. 
He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. By choosing those whom the world rejects and despises, God magnifies the richness of his grace. God glorifies himself. When James says that God chooses the poor of this world to be rich in faith, he means rich in the sphere of faith. They have spiritual riches in Christ through God's grace, through God's grace which brought them to faith in him, which makes them heirs of the kingdom, James 2.5. At the moment of salvation, they come under the reign of Christ in their hearts, Colossians 1.13-14. But there remains in the future the fullness of that kingdom and its blessings. When Jesus returns in power and great glory, Matthew 25.31-34. So James' first argument is that partiality towards the rich and against the poor, or partiality based on any external factor, is wrong because it puts us in the place of judge and it puts us in the place of God. By showing favoritism, we usurp the role that belongs to God alone, who makes sovereign choices. And our second point, favoritism is wrong because it aligns you with God's enemies. James chapter 2, 6-7. Favoritism is wrong because it aligns you with God's enemies. Favoritism is not only wrong because it aligns you with God's enemies, it also just does not make any sense. They were showing favoritism to those who were making life difficult for them. James 2, 6b says, Do not the rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? They were guilty of showing favoritism to those who were oppressing them. James states that by making distinctions based on outward factors, the church has dishonored the poor man. Then he asked two rhetorical questions based on their current circumstances to show that by aligning themselves with the rich against the poor, they are siding with God's enemies, who are also their own enemies. Again, we must keep in mind that James is speaking here in generalities. James is not teaching that church should ignore or despise the rich because of their riches. Rather, he is saying the rich should not be given preferential treatment to the detriment of the poor in an attempt to court their money or influence. James makes two points. First one, God's enemies use their strength to oppress the poor, whereas God is concerned for justice for the poor. James 2, 6 again, But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats. He asks a question that required an affirmative answer again. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats. Because of greed and selfishness in every culture and age, the wealthy tend to take advantage of those who are poor. Even though the rich man does not need the money, he forecloses on the poor person's property to collect on a debt, or he charges exorbitant interest that the poor person could not ever hope to repay, or he pays small wages that hardly allow a man to feed his family, while the rich man just gets richer. It is not wealth that James is condemning, but a lack of compassion, a lack of understanding on the part of the wealthy person towards the poor. The Old Testament repeatedly emphasizes that God is concerned for the rights of the poor. The wicked queen Jezebel hired false witnesses to accuse Naboth and execute him. Then she seized his property just because her pouting husband wanted it for a vegetable garden. Because of this, God pronounced severe judgment on Ahab and Jezebel. See that in 1 Kings chapter 21. The law stipulated that Israel point those who were judged, who judged the people righteously. Merchants were commanded to have full, just weights and measures, Deuteronomy 25.15. Bribery was condemned, 1 Samuel 8.3, Psalm 15.5, and Amos 5.12. 
the prophets often confronted Israel for oppressing the poor, especially orphans and widows. Isaiah 1.17, Jeremiah chapter 22, Ezekiel 22, Amos chapter 4 and 5. Sodom was condemned because pride, fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Ezekiel 16.49 In the New Testament, Paul exhorts us in Colossians 4.1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So James' point is that if you give preferential treatment to the rich man who opposes the poor, you're aligning yourself with God's enemies. Next one. God's enemies blaspheme the name of Christ by which Christians have been called. James 2.7 Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which ye are called? Don't they blaspheme Christ's name? Why are you giving preferential treatment to them? They're blaspheming the name of Christ. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? Why in the world would they give someone preferential treatment that's blaspheming the name of Christ? James' second rhetorical question is this. Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by which you are called? This refers to the practice of a wife taking her husband's name, or a child taking the name of his father, or how Christians take the name of their Savior and are called Christians. We don't know the specific situation here. It could have been the Gentiles mocking the Christians' God, or the Jews criticizing the Christians' claim about Jesus. It may refer to unbelievers making fun of Christian morality, or Christian worship. James' point is that by showing partiality to the rich, it is wrong, because among other things, you may be aligning yourself with those who despise God. He is not saying that all rich people do this. James is making generalizations. But why would you want to court the favor of those who oppose God? So our conclusion. There are many ways that we can fall to the sin that James is warning us against here. R. Kent Hughes noted in his commentary, he said this, In observing people perform acts of worship in the temple, Jesus watched the Jerusalem elite parade by as they dropped their offerings to the treasury, and he was not impressed. But then he saw something that made his heart thrill. A poor widow bearing only a fraction of a penny approached the coffers quietly, head bowed, hoping to draw no attention to herself. Though she did not know Jesus was watching, she knew God was. Silently, her tiny coins fell upon the shekels of the rich, but she had given all. That day Jesus had seen little to impress him, that when the widow passed by, though he remained seated, he was inwardly giving her a standing ovation. That's referring to Mark 12, 41-44. So let's apply this by showing love to every person, and partiality to none. When our Lord returns, if we do this, when our Lord returns, we hear him say, as he said in Matthew 25, 34-40, Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was a hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick. And ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee a hungered and fed thee, or thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw thee a stranger and took thee in, or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in, per- or in prison and came unto thee? 
and the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. How would we ever hear that said to us if we have favoritism to one person or the other? How are we ever going to hear that said to us if we demonstrate partiality to one person or the other? How are we ever going to hear that said to us if we treat one person differently than we treat the other? How are we ever going to hear that say to us if we show respect to one person and show disrespect to someone else based on an external factor that's out of their control? How are we ever going to hear that said to us if we have the sin of partiality, the sin of favoritism, the sin of respecting of persons in our life? How are we ever going to hear that said to us? We should all want to hear that said to us. We should all want the Lord to be able to say that to us at the end of our life. How are we going to do that if the folly of favoritism is in our life? To see like Jesus, to stand on the level plane at the foot of the cross and live out our very relationships to God's glory, that is our calling and that is our privilege. (laughs) 